In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Ryan, can you turn me down just a tiny bit? Thank you. So recently, I have a dear friend who shared a story with me about how she was in her worship service one Sunday morning, and they did their congregational singing, and they all sat down, and someone got up to the podium to speak, and there was, she noticed that there was like an odd interruption happening, and so she kind of looked down um, to the side and, and noticed there was a commotion, and people were starting to get up and walk out of the room, and she was like, oh, I, don't, I have no idea what's going on, and then the pastor got up and said, kind of calmly, like, it looks like we're all going to need to evacuate the church building. And so everyone just gets up and starts filing out, and they go down and pick their kids up, and then they all just kind of leave for the day. And she found out kind of soon after that that a woman had some pepper spray in her purse, and the pepper spray had gone off and was starting to spray pepper spray into the air, and so people are, like, coughing and choking, and they're not able to breathe, and then they all, you know, of course, they can't be in the building after that. But when she told me the story a few hours after this happened, she noticed that she was still feeling super anxious about what had happened. And of course, her mind automatically went to like the worst case scenario of what could have happened if it hadn't been pepper spray. But even though hours had passed, she was still feeling a lot of fear and anxiety about this. And she, and she knew and was sharing that uh, earlier in the year, um, she'd had a very close family member in her extended family that she found out had abused several children in her family. And even though most of that happened before she had her own kids, it was very disorienting for her about life. Um, she realized that she was in a place where she didn't feel protected, like she could be protected anymore, that she could protect her children. Um, and this anxiety and stress that were raised in her life were, were really heightened. In all, like she'd gotten lost in a state park and it became really fearful. Um, she's been really concerned about climate change and the idea like, that the world could literally end. And her fear has just been super amplified to a level she's never experienced before. So um, she also has, in the loss of the relationships in her family member, just felt utterly cut down within her family. It's really just dismantled her family really just felt like a tree, just cut down to a stump in a lot of ways, along with this fear. And so I, I'm going to presume that for those of us in the room who have experienced trauma or tragedy, that's probably not a stretch to imagine what she was talking about. Um, and for those in the room who haven't personally experienced the trauma and tragedy, it's not a stretch to imagine that this happens in the world every day, right? We have news reporting, we have social media that constantly make us aware that these things are happening. And so the reaction, the reaction I think we often have is we spend a lot of time and energy insulating ourselves so that that won't happen to us. And I don't mean, what I don't mean, don't hear me saying like that there, aren't, there isn't discernment and wisdom in determining when there are harmful situations that happen like abusive relationships. But what I mean is we spend a lot of time and energy creating insulating you know, walls and barriers to keep that harm and the suffering and the pain from touching into our lives, from cutting into us. And so it could be as simple as when the news comes on and it's really painful, we just turn it off. It can be as simple as making sure we're in the right neighborhoods, that our kids are in the right schools. We spend a lot of time and energy on those things. We're really good at doing this as a nation, right? Like in the economic policies we make, um, in the military policies we make, 
We want to create walls of protection. And until these places of trees that are cut down like stumps, we proclaim good news today. In the midst of darkness and destruction, into the places of our lives and world that look like a tree cut down to the stump, Jesus speaks to us words of hope in a kingdom that brings peace and the reordering of creation. Take the risk of receiving this hope today. The opening verse of the book of Isaiah, where our Old Testament reading comes from today, says that uh, what happens in the book of Isaiah was during the reigns of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, who were kings of Judah. Um, it was a period of, of Judah's history that was very, very hostile and very violent. If the people of Judah weren't facing raids and battles with their, neighbor, with their neighbors, like um, Damascus or Ammon or Philistia, then they were under the shadow of the Assyrian Empire, on the other hand. And the Assyrian Empire was the world power of the time. And they were able to have this kind of power because they were a war machine. They brought war, like the waging of war to a new level that people hadn't known in the past. And Matt touched on this a little bit last week. They were very good at siege warfare. They had a well-trained standing army. And this is a period of time when people had to farm for a living, right? So most places, you farmed in the summer, and then you went and fought battles in the winter. But Assyria, they, they had an army that was there all the time that could go and fight battles. They had iron weapons when most people had either farm implements or bronze weapons. And they had, like I said, really good siege warfare. So on top of that, they were very, very brutal. They practiced psychological warfare. And this would be like if a city resisted, then they would flay, the, like especially the leaders of the city, after they had conquered the city, they would flay people alive. They would impale people on stakes and put them out in front of the city to sit to, as an example. And they practiced beheading and used images of beheading to send the message to people, if you resist or rebel, this is what will happen to you. So in this period of time, um, we have the words of Isaiah and the story that many of us may be familiar with, which is the story of Hezekiah and the deliverance of Jerusalem. This comes a little bit later in the book of Isaiah. So in this story, the Assyrian army that I just mentioned, right, this terrifying Assyrian army, they come up to the city of Jerusalem and they put it under siege. And Hezekiah and the people of the city fast and pray and ask for God's deliverance because what are they going to do against this terrifying army? And in the middle of the night, the story says that the angel of the Lord struck down the army of Assyria. And Assyria ends up withdrawing and going back to, the, to their country. And so, you, you know, in the morning, the people wake up and they see that they've been delivered, that this army is not there. And I think when I've thought about this story in this past, it always sounded like such a glorious victory. Right? Like, what hope do we have in God's deliver us? What a glorious victory. We should have a party and celebrate because we've had this, this victory. But I think when we hear this story alongside um, the background of Assyria as the world power and alongside the story of cities like Lachish, that gives us a little different perspective. So the city of Lachish was, is about, was about 25 miles away from Jerusalem, and it was second in importance to Jerusalem during that time period. It was heavily fortified. It was built up on a hill. There were two walls to protect it around the city. There was a fortress in the middle. So this was a very fortified city. And the same year that the Assyrian army attacked Jerusalem, they waged a campaign in all of Judah, and they attacked the city of Lachish. 
and they brought their massive army, their trained army, they brought battering rams, they brought their siege machine where they would put dirt up against the wall and push this armored machine up so that they could breach the wall. They had sappers who would dig under the walls and set the, the doors of the city on fire in order to breach the wall, and they did. And they conquered the city of Lachish. And Sennacherib, who was the king of Assyria at the time, was so proud of this victory of this fortified city that he commissioned a relief for the royal palace to hang on the wall to celebrate this. And this was something that the Assyrian kings would do. They would commission these reliefs to show their victories and to show that they were legitimate, and they would hang them in the royal palaces on the walls so that when people would come in, they would see all that the king had done. But with Lachish, Sennacherib was so proud of this victory that he had an entire room in the royal palace. And you can go to the British Museum today and you can see this relief in the room. It's, there are places that are almost seven feet high that tell the story, starting with the fact that the people rebelled, that the Assyrian army comes in and attacks the city, it shows the siege machines, it shows archers, and then it shows that the wall has been breached. And the people are coming to Sennacherib and kneeling at his feet and begging for mercy. And then it shows people being flayed and people being impaled and people being beheaded. And then we, we have, along with this, a written record that Sennacherib gave over this victory where he says, As for the king of Judah, Hezekiah, who had not submitted to my authority, I besieged and captured 46 of his fortified cities along with many smaller towns. I took as plunder 200,150 people, both small and great, male and female. And as for Hezekiah, I shut him up like a caged bird in his royal city of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem woke up that morning and the Assyrian army had been defeated, but I don't think it was a victory to celebrate. They looked around to a country where 46 and more places had been devastated where people had been deported, never to be seen again, friends and family members. They looked around to cities that had been reduced to piles of stones and land where trees had been cut down and fields that grew the food you needed to survive had been burned. A land that was devastated. A land that was not a glorious tree that had been delivered, but was a great tree cut down to the stump. And into this circumstance of devastation and darkness, the prophecies in the book of Isaiah speak good news. They speak words of hope, hope to a, a people who are like a tree cut down. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, our text says today. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. With righteous, and it talks about a leader, who will, this, a leader that will Judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together, and a little child will lead them. The infant will play near the cobra's den, and the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him, and his resting place will be glorious. The people of Judah knew what it was to be cut down to a stump. They knew what it was to have leaders who made military alliances to shore up their power. And when it didn't work out, the people of the land and the most vulnerable people were the ones who paid the price. They knew kings like Ahaz who sacrificed their children over the fire in order to, to make sure that they would have security. 
leaders who consolidated their wealth by taking land from other people, vineyards of people who didn't want to sell it by any means, where they sold the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And then facing predi human predators on one side, they faced predators in creation on the other side, a creation at odds against itself. They lost their livelihood, the lambs of their flock, like our text says today, the goats, the calves, the cows. They lost these to um, predators in creation. And they couldn't always protect their children from harm. And into this darkness and devastation, Isaiah's words speak a word of hope, that a branch will come out of this stump. A branch will bear fruit. And it won't be a stump forever, a stump that we just look at and are reminded that it's been cut down. But there will be a shoot that comes out of it, where justice and peace and wisdom give life to people and give restoration to a creation that's at odds against itself. And here in the church, we recognize Jesus to be ultimately the shoot that comes out of that stump, the, full, the fulfillment of this prophecy, right? The fullest filling of Isaiah's vision. And Jesus wasn't a shoot that stayed outside of the tree, outside of what was cut down. He didn't avoid it. He didn't remain above or outside of it, but he came in to be part of the tree, the tree that's cut down and yet brings fruit out of it. Today, we proclaim good news in the midst of darkness and destruction into the places of our lives and world that look like a tree cut down to the stump. Jesus speaks to us words of hope through his kingdom that brings peace and the reordering of creation. Take the risk of receiving his hope today. Now, I think the horrors of war and all that is associated with that are probably the absolute worst I could imagine um, of human destruction and devastation. And like, I'm gonna presume like most of us in the room, I don't, have, I don't live in that reality. The UN Re Refugee Agency estimates that there are more than 70 million people in the world today who are forcibly displaced from, from their homes. So there are millions and millions of people who probably do understand that reality, um, that, have had, that live in circumstances not unlike Judah. I think the danger when we think about this is that we say, that's terrible. Thank God that I don't live in those circumstances, whether that's Judah or whether that's so many millions of people in the world today. But I tell this story not so that we can count our blessings and kind of go on with our lives, I tell this story because in the midst of what is maybe the greatest darkness and destruction, we see God offering hope. And if we see that God offers hope in the worst of what we can imagine, then certainly he offers hope to all the places in between, wherever we find ourselves, wherever we see the stumps in our lives that are in need of hope. Where do you see the stump in your life today that's in need of hope? Many of you know, uh, for me, as I'm responding to this, many of you know that uh, about a year and a half ago, we lost our son, Vincent, who was stillborn, our, our son. And so many of you in this room have walked with us um, through all the grief that comes with that. But also in this process over the last year, as we've gone through the grief of all the one-year anniversaries, um, we've also grappled with the grief of the fact that we are likely not going to be have, able to have any more children. 
which is a different kind of a grief. And certainly a grief um, that's much like a tree being cut down to the stump. But even as we've walked through this, so many of the people in this room um, have walked with me and have been just present in the grief and been in solidarity and given hope and spoken words of hope. Not looking away from the pain and not trying to fix it and not trying to stand outside of it, but just being present and giving dignity and bearing witness to what's there, being in solidarity with us. And because of that, I feel like this good news speaks, it just speaks so much good news to me where I'm at because of the hope that's there in the midst of loss and in the midst of devastation. Where do you see a stump in your life today? This might be, if you've experienced tragedy or trauma, this might be an area where you yourself feel like a tree cut down. It could be the loss of a person, the death of someone. It could be the loss of a dream or something that you really valued or something that you wanted, something you've worked toward, a job that didn't work out, a job that's brutal. This could be a relationship where you've had broken trust with someone or where someone's hurt you or even where you just long for a deeper relationship and there's a barrier there. This could be an illness, where it can even just be ongoing anxiety and fear and the loss of joy. That's a stump in your life today. Or maybe this is a stump that you feel um, that you see in someone else or in, pe in people in the world all around us. And Jesus is calling you to walk with them in solidarity, to live into hope with them in a world that doesn't no much peace and justice, but to live in a world where harm and destruction aren't the daily reality. And we've talked a lot about asylum seekers over the past few weeks and the fact that some of the families in our church are going to be sponsoring, but we as a community want to be together in, in solidarity with the asylum seekers among us and then also with the families that are taking the brunt of supporting um, in different ways. But who, who is it for you today where you see a stump? This morning we're invited to this good news in the midst of darkness and destruction into the places of our lives and world that look like a tree cut down to the stump. Jesus speaks to us words of hope through his kingdom that brings peace and the reordering of creation. Take the risk of receiving his hope today. And we have the opportunity to respond in so many ways this morning. We'll have our prayer of response that we normally do printed in the booklet. Um, that as we pray together, everyone, of course, is invited to share aloud. But we also have, you know, this art installation. We have, we can spend time there. We have, we'll be making Eucharist. Eucharist being Thanksgiving. A time of giving thanks to God for the hope that he gives to us. And then, of course, we have prayer ministers that are always available um, like during the Eucharist and, and on in the service. That if there is a stump in your life today and you would want someone to pray with you, please take the opportunity to do that. Whatever way we choose to respond today, let's, let's respond to God and to this good news. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.